Welcome to The Tangent. My name is Matt Sparazza, and this is... Father Sam Kachuba. Today we are starting our episode uh, with with virtually no topic. I didn't realize that you had actually hit the record button. Oh, yeah. I thought I thought oh, you yeah. were just joking. Okay. Yeah, preceding no, me hitting the record oh. button was Father Sam saying... What are we going to talk about? And I said, I have no idea. No idea, so let's just see what happens. This well, is... I would like to talk about St. Michael the Archangel. Okay, I'm in. Okay, cool. I have a cool sticker of him from this art, this uh, illustrator. Okay. His name is Baratus Catholic. Actually, his name is Chris something. Can we put that in the show notes so that I people can check to. it? Check I it out. I actually love this dude. Sweet. I have like five prints from him that okay. are like eight by eleven and a half or eight by eleven, whatever the size of a regular picture frame is. Yep. Um, Framed, hanging on your wall. They were hanging on my wall okay. when I was living at my parents' house, uh, but now that I am married and have been living in the apartment I'm living in for three months or so, I haven't hung up anything. Sure. Actually, no, that sounds about normal. But I did hang up a couple things. Two things. Okay. One. Uh, I'm going to start with the really, really cool one first. Okay. Uh, my in-laws had a painting of my first dance with my wife done. Oh, I know. That's cool. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And so we've got this really beautiful painting hanging above my dinner table. And then on the other wall, I have a, a painting from my aunt who is really, it, it, uh, the, the painting is nice, but I got it. <laughs> Here's why we wanted it. It's by an artist named Van Gake, okay, as opposed to Van Gogh. <laughs> and a piece of me just thought it was hilarious. You just, you just found the artist's name humorous and, okay. But it's a nice painting. Okay. But, all right. Yeah. The, the first dance thing. All right. This is just the, the celibate genius speaking here, yeah. okay? Yeah, so, like, you, you've got the matrimonial genius. I've, I've got the, the celibate genius here okay. going. And neither uh, of us have the feminine genius. Exactly. <laughs> That's definitely. So we're true. really missing. It. We need to bring Renee in on one of these so that we can talk to her and and just like She'll get just, get some perspective yeah, on this. Yeah. So I don't know if I've mentioned it on on this show before or mm-hmm. not, but I I don't like going to wedding receptions, or at least really? at least not for very long. Okay. Because uh, wedding receptions, there there are three things that happen to priests at wedding receptions. Number one, if the family isn't thinking ahead. Uh, mm-hmm. The people who have invited you to the reception, if they haven't thought ahead, that you end up getting seated at the table of like random coworkers mm-hmm. that didn't get a plus one. Sure. Uh, and so you you don't know anybody, and you're just kind of stuck floating, and you've got no one to talk to, and you don't really want to talk to anybody anyway. Or if you do get seated with the parents of the bride or groom, or with both, depending on how they've arranged the tables, um, all right, that that's fine. You're sitting at at, a, at tables. I mean, that's with, a place of honor. It is a place of honor. And so I'm, I, I'm supp- I, I genuinely appreciate the invitation that somebody would even want me to be there right. is for me an honor. I, I genuinely Oh, I'm not calling that. you out on it. I'm saying- No, but you I'm, can. It's okay. I'm, I'm saying I didn't, I, like, I think we invited the, the celebrant of our mass. Yeah. But I don't think we would have seated him next to our parents. Yeah, well, the- uh, We like Father Jim, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of depends. So depending on, on who you are or how you know the couple- uh, You'll get different things. So right. I had one wedding where the the bride, uh, I've I've known her and her family for many years. So I sat with her parents right. and some other relatives. Right, at but that, that makes table. sense. Yeah, you know, we had only met Father Jim um, three times. Exactly. So exactly. So you 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 want to try to find a spot for the priest where it's not going to be weird. Right. Um, but the other thing that happens is that somebody who has had too much to drink comes up to the priest and decides that this is the perfect opportunity to air all their grievances with the Catholic Church uh-huh. or to attempt to engage in deep theological discussion about things that they are not capable of talking about because they are heavily inebriated. 
And so you end up having these very frustrating conversations with belligerent drunks. Right. And it's, it's, not, it's not a fun experience. And then the last right. thing that happens at, at every wedding I've ever been to, uh, every wedding reception that I've ever been to, save for uh, certain friends of mine whose weddings I did right. or relatives of mine whose, whose weddings I've done or that I attended their, their reception. Um, but every time there's, there's a woman over the age of 47 who determines that I really want to dance with her. Mm. And I cannot emphasize enough how untrue it is that I've ever wanted to dance with her. Uh, <laughs> I, I tell people this all the time. Like I, I went to dances through high school and, and then I was done. I finished that part of my life okay. and it's no longer something that I look and for. I've never looked back. No, I have not for a minute regretted that I, I don't get out on the dance floor to cut a rug. I'm, Right. I'm quite comfortable with that, and I right. kind of like it. Would it be inappropriate for a priest to do that? I personally think it is. Now, that's my opinion. Right. Uh, I the know church hasn't spoken on. No, this. and and th- there are there are circumstances where for a priest to to get out and dance could be something like I dance with my grandmother at one of my right. cousin's weddings because right. it's my grandmother, and of right. course and I'm going to dance with her. Like you doing the cha cha slide, <laughs> exactly. and you know what I mean, and you. And dancing well, with y- one female. Let's say you have a let's say you have a priest who uh, grew up doing Irish step dancing. Right. And so there's there's going to be a whole bunch of Irish step dancers at this wedding, and they're going to go out and they're going to dance. Well, of course the priest should jump up and dance with them. Like that's right. that's fine. A cultural dance or something like that. Right. Um, I have cousins who are Greek, and they do the Greek dancing at their weddings and stuff. And so mm. you see you see them getting out there and like heck, if the priest jumped in and did that, I wouldn't think anything of it at all. That's right. that's perfectly fine. But. I really have never felt any desire to get out on the dance floor. So anyway, I'm I'm not generally very comfortable at the, at the dances, but mm-hmm. at the receptions. But coming to the first dance again, mm-hmm. what happens at the first dance? Well, everybody the the bridal party's now been introduced, and and everybody's making a big fuss over them. Yeah. And then people kind of quiet down because the bride and groom are going to share their first dance. Yeah. And it gets real romantic and real sweet. We also and, wrote our well, I wrote our first dance. Yeah, of course and we you did. Sa- and we sang it together <laughs> while dancing. No, no, it was a recording. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just sharing. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool, right? Of course you did that. That that makes perfect sense. <laughs> right. But there you are, you're, you're you're dancing, all right, and it's it's very lovely, and, and everybody's kind of ooing and eyeing over how beautiful it yeah. is, and they're they're so happy for you. There's some tears being shed over here by I would these say that people. There was a lot of tears at ours. Sure, well, because they're hearing you guys singing. I feel to like one I'm another. bragging a little bit. Brag, it's but, okay. But it was probably one of the coolest moments of my life. I think Renee would be happy to hear you bragging about yeah. her. Yeah, well, listen, I'm, I'm, she's the best. You know her. Yeah, she's, the she's best. great. Uh, so anyway, the, what, what usually happens, the DJ or the band, depending on, on who you've got or what, what you're going for. I love a good band, but a bad band is just a disaster. Right? Yeah, I think good band is the highest you could go at a wedding. Good DJ is just below that. Yep. But bad band is significantly worse than bad DJ. Sure, I'm with you. But we, we had a very good DJ. That's okay. how we went. Hey, if you get a very good DJ, uh, I'm, you know I mean? I'm, I'm here for it. They were so the, the, the they DJ were Catholic or the, and cheap. Oh, nice. <laughs> that works out well. Yeah, yeah. So the, the DJ or the band leader, uh, after you've da- been dancing for a little while, then invites everybody, all the married couples out onto the dance floor, which means that the priest who's at the table with like the either the random coworkers or the drunk uncle or if he's if he's been seated at a nice table of of people that that he knows that table empties out right and it's like and i have to stand there and just smile because i'm the next one up cuz it it always happens at the oh. first dance and then grace and of course you're and then they serve like the salad and then they get some toasts going and right so it's it's not always great now the best wedding I, I've got to give a shout out to to Sherry, who's my DRE here. When she got married last year, um, 
she understood exactly what I was talking about. (laughs) And she executed so perfectly the placement of the priests who were present for her wedding. Because there were three priests who came to the, who were on the altar for the wedding, plus a transitional deacon and a couple of seminarians. Okay. And she put all of us along with the brother of one of the seminarians at a table all together. So we were with people who we knew and most of us were celibates. Mm-hmm. So there we were at the table together, and that table was the closest table to the door. Right. Which meant that as soon as the meal was over and like we had finished eating and they had cleared the plates, we could leave. Right. And she knew that that's like she wanted us to feel that freedom. Right. The It was the most considerate thing I'd ever seen. It was so beautiful, and I was so proud of her that, that she understood right. her guests in such a way, yeah. and that she loved us enough to say, I don't want you guys to feel like you have to stay. Yeah. It was so beautiful, and I so there's your shout-out, Sherry. You, I'm, did you I'm guys stay, though? We stayed for the meal, and then I was done. Like, Did, did all of you leave? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Yeah, we all we were wow. done. Because we in that situation, I say to myself, well, maybe they would have stayed because it's it's they're all in the same situation. They no, can talk to each other. Because what happens is it gets real loud. Mm. That music cranks up and it starts getting super loud. And you're yeah. like, why am I going to stay and shout when right. I have mass tomorrow morning? I'm, right. I'm getting out of here. Yeah. Uh, I have other friends. And I, I went to the, the reception for for these friends of mine and, and his, his cousin uh, and his cousin's wife are, are very, very close friends of mine. And uh, so we're at the reception and I remember Emily looks at me at one point and she goes, you can go now, you know, I can. Yeah, it's okay. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Like we knew I'd been there. It was very fun. Nice. I I knew the family. So it was like, I felt more comfortable because I knew more people there, but it's also starting to get loud. And this is the time when, when the tables are going to start emptying out and everybody's going to go dance. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I've done my part. Yep. You can go. Yes. Permission. Nice. And it was beautiful to know that I had that permission. I was grateful. Yeah. My my wedding day, I realize we're not talking about St. Michael at all. No, we're going to come back to St. Michael, though, because we right. had to talk about the prince and hanging things and and your new apartment, and then that got us into weddings, and it's good. Tell me about your wedding day. We have day. to talk about prince. <laughs> yes, purple rain, and now we've done it. We've <laughs> talked about him, and now we can move on. Now we can move on. Exactly. Um, my wedding day was, I've actually talked about this quite a bit with my father-in-law. Um, I experienced a lot of spiritual warfare. On, mm. the, on my wedding day okay um and the the couple of days moving uh moving up to it so right right prior to it i in spiritual warfare one of the things that the devil does is he he prevents you from understanding and remembering the graces you've been given oh yeah um so like two three days prior to the wedding i started feeling very afraid and I, I mean, I was like, I know that, that there's the whole thing of like, well, you don't really know your vocation until you make your vow, you know? And then now now you can be certain this was the Lord's will for your life. Mm-hmm. But but for whatever reason, but like I wasn't, I wasn't afraid going up, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, like two, three days beforehand, I was feeling really afraid and it, it really peaked um, the day before the wedding where okay. I was, I was like, I felt so scared but i also this is this is what i mean when he says he, cl- he clouds your judgment for whatever reason i didn't know what i was feeling i couldn't identify fear oh yeah i see. I had i had lost the ability to identify right. the feeling of fear right 
for like 12 hours. So in other words, it, it ended up becoming just a, a deep feeling it of was, being unsettled, but you didn't know deep, why. Yeah, it was just a deep, unsettled Ooh. feeling. It was like a dark cloud. Yeah. That was just like, it was okay. present, but I couldn't figure it out. Um, And I, I've, I mean, I, I would pray about it. And I was like, I can't, I don't like the, the words I had associated it with were like nervousness and butterflies. Those are the two words that I yeah. associated it with. But I, but I did not pin down afraid. Okay. You know, and I prayed about it and I prayed about it and I was like, but I, I think more than anything, I was like trying to talk myself out of like, well, you, it's natural. You would feel butterflies, you know, but like that wasn't it. So it wasn't working. Mm. Um, but I, I prayed about it, like I said, and I, I eventually brought it to Mary and I would, and I would certainly, I believe I prayed a couple, the St. Michael's prayer a couple of times, but I, I brought it to Mary and I consecrated the event to Mary. Uh, and within, I think, so I think it was like, I, I did that prayer and I had said Hail Mary's on the way out the door of the rehearsal dinner. I got in the car, we drove home. I was saying Hail Mary's in the car. I got home to the hotel, I guess, right? So I didn't get home, but I got to the hotel, looked at my phone and had a text message from Father Joseph Gill that said, be not afraid, this is from God. And I was like, ooh, what the heck? Like, and, but it was that moment that it clicked. Yeah. I was like, I'm feeling afraid. This is spiritual warfare. Yeah. Like I couldn't identify that's what it was for for days. That's powerful though. Yeah, you know? And so the next morning I woke up and I was like, I need to consecrate this day to Mary. And so I, I have a picture on my phone of the consecration prayer from the 33 days book uh, that I would I should pray every day, but I don't. Um, and so I said that prayer in the morning, and then that day proceeded to be the most tangible I've ever felt grace in my life. Wow. It was palpable. Yeah. It was awesome. That's like great. I felt it, I felt it in my veins. It was wild. Yeah. You know? It's interesting. One of the questions that uh, I in the marriage prep stuff that I use uh, called Witness to Love. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, a meeting where the priest and the mentor couple and the engaged couple sit down and, and talk. And one of the questions that the priest is supposed to ask the mentor couple, so these are this is a couple that's been married for at least five years, if not significantly longer. Right. Uh, one of the questions is, what, what grace did you receive at your wedding that wasn't there before? And the answers that couples will give, is it, it's so beautiful. The, the different things that they recognize became tangible for yeah. them or these these different ways that God was moving in their lives on their wedding day that he hadn't moved in that way before right. and then the graces that they've continued to live in since then it's really it's very powerful yeah yeah that's awesome well it, it's I guess it connects to St. Michael you know what I mean yeah that you made a good connection there I like that that I, was, <laughs> that I was thinking of you know the spiritual warfare but I but again I think that spiritual warfare is a spiritual warfare is a confusing topic yeah. By its very nature. Sure. Because it covers oftentimes confusion. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? A lot of times it, when, when we're talking spiritual warfare, uh, there's there's the very, very, very manifest ways that we might see spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. uh, so you see somebody who's really and truly dealing with uh, obvious demonic influence, oppression, possession, something like that. Um, there's the the spiritual warfare that is just kind of the struggle against sin. So I can see my own sinfulness in this habit, and I'm trying to get past it. I'm trying to break the sinful habit, and I'm struggling. Uh, that's a, a way of recognizing spiritual warfare. But then there's the subtle spiritual warfare that's that's happening. Right. Um, and that's almost the uh, it's the cold war of of spiritual warfare. It's, it's the stuff that is, is kind of unseen. It's the stuff that happens more uh, subtly. 
and and quietly that we have to kind of be alert to. And like you said, sometimes the, the clouded vision, it's this is the smoke screen that comes up so that I won't notice that this thing's happening. It was wild. Or it's a distraction. So I get focused on this other thing. Right. While really what what God wants to do for me or where I need to grow is is over here. And that spiritual warfare is, is it's a very real, very, very real thing. Yeah. Interesting. So, well, the, the question I wanted to ask prior was, did you, it's, I, I think it's twofold. Can you tell me any experience of spiritual warfare as you discern the priesthood? Sure. Um, I actually forgot the second half, so let's just go with that. Well, I, I would pinpoint kind of two big areas where that spiritual warfare was present. The first was early in my time in seminary, um, basically at the end of my first year of college seminary. Uh, that first year, uh, 10 days after, 12 days after my first day in the seminary was 9-11. Whoa. Yeah. And so there's this tremendous confusion coming into the world and fear and what do we do and yeah. how do we handle that? So the world as as I knew it was radically transformed into a, a very different place. Uh, there was all of a sudden that sense of safety and security was was very, very truly shaken. Yeah. And uh, having lived through that that time, it was there was there were just a lot of questions. What, what are we what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond to this? Where is God in all of this? So that was the kind of the first big challenge. But then, uh, two thousand one gives way to two thousand two, which was the year of the spotlight in Boston and the the, the sex oh. abuse scandals really exploding, really really exploding, and r- realizing that there were priests who I knew here in the Diocese of Bridgeport who were being removed because of sexual misconduct Whoa. and for abuse. And that was, it was that was really hurtful. Of course. Um, seeing this happen. And then there was also the the fear of, of being suspected. Yeah. You know, that that I'm associated with with the church now. Right. Uh, are people going to think that that I'm abusive? Right. It's, uh, I mean, and that's that, a natural thing. Of course. If there, if you found out that the New York Yankees was filled with, you know, pedophiles, and then somebody became a member of the New York Yankees. Right. Well, it's the same reason that people are against the Astros right now. Right. right? The Astros won the World Series, but... Did they really? Yeah. Oh, I can't believe they won. <laughs> but every, every, the Phillies. everybody still goes back to the big cheating scandal that the, right. the Astros must still be big time cheaters or something. Right. And there doesn't appear to be any evidence that they are right. big time it's cheaters. Like, frankly, they were just a good team who cheated first, but now they exactly. But they actually are a good team. They yeah. just they got caught cheating too. And, right. But they haven't. At least they haven't been caught cheating since. Anyway, right. Right. Um, so that was that was big and, and weighing on me. And then I so I went through that entire year. So starting with nine eleven, and then having uh, sex abuse scandals breaking in the midst of all of it, and this like confusion and fear about what's the role of the church, what's my role, where, where do I fit into all of this? Uh, I then went to Mexico for the summer to study Spanish, and so I did a six-week uh, intensive immersion program, and it was it was a great experience. I loved it. I had a great time down there, uh, but one of the things that was, that was also present was we were studying at a school, and uh, in, this, in this school, it was like a, like a college, junior college, and it was specifically focused on world languages. Mm-hmm. So there was like a high school area, and then there was their college area. And so these, these students who were there uh, were young adults who were studying languages for the purpose of taking jobs in business, in industry, in, uh, in uh, tourism, things like that. So they studied, most of them spoke four or five languages, wow. including English. Right. Um, and they were more than happy to help us with our Spanish. 
those of us participating in the Spanish program to help us to practice our Spanish. Was this um, with other seminarians? It was, yeah. Okay. So uh, these, I was, it was me, these other seminarians, and, and you've graduated from college already, or no? No, no, I was still in college. Okay, okay, yeah. Okay. So I was like nineteen, right? Okay, probably at the time. Um, so I'm nineteen years old, and I'm, I'm with all of these students, the same age as me. You know, other other nineteen, twenty year olds uh, who are studying languages and super friendly and looking for help with English mm. themselves, uh, but also very willing to help with with Spanish. It was great, wonderful. Um, but you spend a lot of time with them, and you realize like there's all these pretty girls who are just like yeah. thrilled to talk to you and and yeah, have yeah. conversations. And and they're they're I knew they were using me for my English acumen. Right. I'm I'm pretty good at English. I I talk English good yeah. and. <laughs> yeah. You know, but and and in return, I was kind of using them because they right. could help me make my Spanish better, and right. that, so I was like, "All right, here we go." Right. But there was this like vocational doubt then that that comes in. Right. So I'm, do I do I actually want to be a priest? This right. is kind of fun. I'm enjoying. Right. This I'm is enjoying. This is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, and uh, I like Mexican food. Maybe I maybe just come live here. You know, <laughs> like surely they'll let me stay on the in, campus for free. In the in the things that go through your mind, right? So that was all that was all there. Um, then we went to World Youth Day. In Toronto and World Youth Day Toronto, John Paul II, and I don't remember what the event was. I want to say it was the big closing mass, but it could have been some other time. But I just remember I'm there with all these doubts. And just before I'd gone into the Adoration Chapel at the seminary and I'd been praying, like, God, I don't really know what I'm doing. And is this really what you want? Am I really supposed to be here? Um, I've, this has been such a difficult year and I've got so many things that I, I want to know more about and I, right. I don't understand what's what's going on. Um, but is this really where you want me to be? And I'm, I'm wondering if I'm called to the priesthood at all. And so this deep question is is very heavy on my heart. And I remember God saying, did, did I tell you to leave? Mm. I said, well, no. And he goes, then why are you asking me about leaving? And I realized that at no time had had I heard in prayer or received in any in any environment of prayer, had there ever been anything other than priesthood on my heart? Right. It was just that you were questioning. I was questioning because all these things were happening, but I had, I hadn't really brought that question into prayer in the same way. And I realized, okay, I've got to I've got to let this kind of ride out. Well, I go to World Youth Day, and John Paul II spoke directly, at least as I remember it. And I'd have to go back and find the exact text of what he said. Um, but I remember hearing him say, uh, do not be discouraged by those in the church who have betrayed th their trust, by those who have betrayed their vocation. But remember the vast majority of priests and religious and seminarians whose only desire is to serve God and do good. And those were the words that really hit me. Because all of a sudden I realized, I'm a seminarian. Oh, I'm studying to be a priest. And he said, whose only desire is to serve God and do good. And I went, that's what I want. That's all I want. I want to serve God and do good. Yeah, that's it. Right. And it was like this moment of clarity where God kind of broke through the doubts and the confusion and the, the questions that I was having. And I needed, I needed something to break through the wall. Yeah. Like I, I needed a battering ram that was coming through to like clear out the the clutter and the distraction. And I realized that a lot of the stuff that I was getting distracted by is that is that spiritual warfare, but it was subtle. Right. It was these little things like, well, and and there was something that wasn't so subtle, you know, the the scandal of clerical sexual abuse is not subtle. Right. There's nothing subtle about that. No, no, but it was like it, that was getting beat up. And and then it wasn't the the beatings so much as it was uh the 
the questioning and not even temptation. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even right. put it into that category. Right. It was just the, the question, what am I supposed to be doing? And I needed, I needed a breakthrough and God gave it to me there. So that, that's always the first one where I'd say like, all right, spiritual warfare in seminary right. formation, that was the first one. The second one comes later and it comes for almost every single man in formation for the priesthood. Okay. And it comes not long before ordination to the diaconate. That doesn't surprise me. Right? I, I'm, it doesn't surprise me because it's like, and for the way I look at it, Christian, if you are a practicing Catholic, you got a target on your back. Oh yeah. But the second you're about to do something big for God, Man, does that target grow. Absolutely. This one, though, is it's always a little bit different. It's not the same as, as it was before. The early days of discernment, your early days of formation for, for the priesthood, uh, a lot of times that, that piece, that's the, uh, that's the, the, I'm just trying to figure out who I am, what I'm supposed to do. Um, and so there's, there's all kinds of questions. This one, later in formation, closer to ordination, is not so much uh, what am I supposed to do? It's am I even good enough for this? Oof. So you, you come to this profound sense of your own unworthiness because the more you the more you study the priesthood, the more you understand what the priesthood is about, the more you realize that you are a wretch who doesn't deserve this at all. <laughs> like you you come to the understanding I'm not I'm not a priest because I'm I'm good enough. I'm not a priest because I am I am worthy of the priesthood, but I'm a priest by God's grace. And whatever worthiness I have is his. You know, when I was called forward and questioned, and when the, uh, the questions were asked to the vicar for clergy, do you know them to be worthy? Uh, it wasn't my worthiness that I've gained on my own. It was the worthiness that God has made possible. Because by myself, trust me, Not a chance. I am unworthy of the yeah. priesthood. And and I know that, and you come to this this awareness that I'm not I'm not good enough for for this. Uh, who am I to take on this sacred responsibility? Who am I to say I should I should be laying down my life? And God, you should be giving me this this gift of holy orders, uh, such that someday I will confect the Eucharist, such that I'll forgive right. sins. Like who the heck am I? Right. I'm nobody. <laughs> I am I am nobody in that. So the spiritual warfare comes in because with that sense of unworthiness can often come then the like deep self-doubt. Right. And there's a difference between understanding my unworthiness and being in awe of the fact that in spite of my unworthiness, God is doing something great and the self-doubt that can come with that awareness of unworthiness. So on the one hand, I could become so aware that I'm unworthy that I start to think that I am no good personally, that 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 awareness of unworthiness is definitive of my character and of who I am. And so I'm not good enough. And so I shouldn't do this at all. That could easily happen. It's interesting. It's like, it's like the temptation to just throw in a towel. Yeah. Just to quit. But, but if you had quit, you know, in a thought experiment, right? Where the heck would you have gone? Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't think I didn't think about that. Yeah. Right. The, so in the in the first big doubts, right in the in the early years of discernment, um, if I pull out one of my old journals, I would find like my plan. If wow. I if I left the seminary, this is what I would do because I had to think it through. Right. Uh, I'm as much as I can be an introvert. I'm I'm a little bit of an extroverted processor too. So yeah. I had to just write out the thought. All right. What would I do? Right. And I started writing down things that I could do. I also had this happen. Um, I guess first year of theology. Um, 
during Christmas break. It was my first Christmas away from home. Right. My second major holiday away from home. I was super homesick. Right. Yeah. You're uh, and so just missing things. And yeah. so I'm going, do I really belong here? Should I really be doing this? Right. And I started thinking again about like other things that I could do. And I remember in, in that instance, uh, I don't remember where I was, but going into a church and just spending some time praying in that church and realizing that that time spent in prayer in the church was, was really helpful. And even though I don't remember the content of the prayer, I don't remember exactly why I was praying or what I was praying over. I just remember it being really helpful. Right. And then as I was walking down the street, uh, still kind of processing these ideas, something hit me. It wasn't in church. And, and I would love to say that it was like this mystical experience that I had as I knelt before the Blessed Sacrament right. and suddenly the, the ray of light just pierced my heart. <laughs> and it wasn't. I was, I was I was walking down the street. You actually and, heard a choir of angels. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, they don't have mouths, but you heard them. Yeah. No, it was, I was walking down the street. I was... Um, I must have been in a German-speaking country. Maybe was in, I was in Vienna. That's where I was. Okay. So Vienna's beautiful, right? And I remember giggling because there was a sign in a shop window and it said dumb fart, um, <laughs> which, which like had some other meaning, of course, in German. Right, but I was right. just reading it as an, as an English speaker. It's right. a dumb fart. <laughs> that's funny. You know? But I just had this experience in prayer where like, I was feeling better. And all of a sudden, I remember this, this awareness that the stuff that I was thinking about doing I could go home. I could leave the seminary. I could go home. I could do all these other things. And there was no doubt in my mind that I would have been really good at it. Hmm. One of my thoughts was, I'll go back. Um, I'll get a master's degree in education. I'll be a teacher. Right. I'll teach English. I'll teach, I'll teach theology, something right. like that. I'll go teach in a Catholic school. Um, no doubt in my mind, I'd be good. I'd be good at that. Right. And I think I'd be happy. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, if that's the case and, and, I'm not supposed to be a priest. I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll start working on that and uh, I'll find somebody to marry right. and I'll, I'll start looking and I'd probably be good at that too. Right. And I'll be, I'll be okay. And I, I realized that as I was walking down this street, that it, it was true that those were all good things mm-hmm. and that I could find happiness in them, but that what God desired for me was different. Right. Mm. And that as much as those were good things, and there was a degree of happiness to be achieved. I realized that the greatest happiness I would find was in doing the will of God. And the will of God for me was the priesthood. The greatest happiness, the greatest contentment, and the, the best thing I could do w- would be the will of God. And that his will for me was this other thing. But the insight that I had was even more than that, just that this was the good that God wanted me to do. It was the insight that, and I, I read about this later in a book, and I was fascinated uh, to read this in print because it was so reflective of my own experience, but that even if you choose to do something that isn't God's will for you, God will still make you happy. He will still bless you with happiness, mm. right? Especially when the thing that you're doing, it, like you're, you're choosing your vocation. Right. Um, it's possible to choose the wrong vocation. Yeah, but just because you choose the wrong vocation doesn't mean that God's mad at you, right? Because a vocation is not a matter of morality, right? Right. Now, if you're doing something that is morally evil, right. God is not going to bless that. No, He's not going to bless you for that. But He's also not going to deny you the possibility of finding happiness. It's just that the sin itself will not be the thing that makes you happy. Right. This was the experience of realizing that I could choose any vocation I want, and God will, God will help me to find happiness. 
So that wasn't so much spiritual warfare as it was deep spiritual insight. But later in seminary, as I was getting closer to ordination, it was the spiritual warfare of, do I give into this sense of unworthiness that leads me into self-doubt and to feel that I am worth less? Right. Or do I recognize the unworthiness that is present in my heart and the reality of that unworthiness and turn it into gratitude to God who has called me in spite of my unworthiness? That's fantastic. Right? Yeah. So think about it with like you and Renee. I think about it all the time. Are you worthy? Are you good enough for her? You know what, man? First <laughs> of all, no. But <laughs> but I think about it all the time. And I know this is weird that this is the image I have in my head. Yeah. But this is the image I have in my head, okay? Do you know that Disney Channel mo- movie, uh, My Date with the President's Daughter? No. <laughs> I just don't even know if it's Disney Channel. But there is a movie called that. I feel like this is decidedly after my time. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually a little bit before my time though too so okay. i never i don't even think i've seen it but it's an image that pops in my head somewhat frequently and i i look at that movie and i know that like if i had ever gone on a date with the president's daughter you meet that president you're like hello sir you know mr president sir right you know and i i think about it like this is a stupid comparison because the, the president and the god the father are two very different you know Correct. Persons. Yes. Yeah. Right. But you you are absolutely correct <laughs> you, about that. You know what I mean? Very different. I don't think really does it justice do to the difference. Justice. But yeah, no, I understand what you're getting. Right. But I think about it all the time, and, it, and particularly as I was approaching marriage, I was saying like, I, and it's something I want to pray more than I do. But I'm like, I'm like honored that God the Father gave me His daughter. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I'm honored by that. Yeah. And I know just having known myself right that i am not capable of this like this is not something that like like it's a gift it's a total gift because i in no way merited this you know and i'm i'm like it's i'm not gonna get through it on my own i just can't Hmm. you know but but again it's like i mean honestly i I think the reason i'm i'm thinking about it in such a confused way is because i feel like recently i haven't done a great job of leading my family but there's there's something to it, right? That there's again that that awareness of the gift. To be aware that that your vocation is a gift and your spouse is a gift. And to recognize that and to see it and then to be able to all right, hey, here's the deal. Every once in a while we get distracted by things and we lose sight of the most important things. That's human nature. There's there's a part of our humanity that just easily gets distracted by shiny things, by by other uh, right. obligations, Instant by gratification. Yeah, or just that there's other stuff that I have to do, and so I'm I'm worried about these other things, and so I'm focusing less on the gift that God is giving. Right. Uh, I'm spending less time thinking about what God desires for me, and more time uh, thinking about these things that preoccupy me, these things that I, I worry about. Okay, fine. <laughs> that's right. that's a thing. But then when you sit down and you start thinking about it a little bit more and you realize what a gift I have here, well, all that all that's going to do is inflame that desire for gratitude. Yeah. And we got to be careful. Like there's there's a certain amount of kicking your own butt that's necessary. Yeah. Right? So I've lost sight of these important things. All right. I need to kick my butt for a little while. Yeah. I, I need to be uh, maybe a little bit annoyed with myself for yeah. a little while. That That's okay. Uh, it's And in fact, it's, it's kind of healthy because it's just the awareness of what needs to happen. But then we have to get to work because the real work is remember, remember this great gift that you have? Yeah, yeah. you remember. Okay, let's be grateful for it again. 
okay, then filled with gratitude, what do you do? You go back with new eyes, with a new appreciation for for the gift. So if you feel like you haven't been been leading, what are you going to do? You're going to go love Renee. Right. You're going to go and be even more grateful for her today than you were yesterday. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. So where's this? Where's the Saint Michael come in? Well, I mean, in in a piece of it, right? I mean, it's like it, it doesn't even have to be exclusive to Saint Michael. I think it it is in the sense that it's spiritual warfare, you know. Like, I think that the devil, one of the de- like the devil's so tricky. He's such a jerk um, that it's like for me in particular, right today. You know what I mean? I like, like you describe the devil as a jerk. Nice. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Well, I, could, I didn't want to use stronger language on yeah, the radio. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to join Catching Foxes with the only explicit rating on iTunes. I don't think, we, I don't think iTunes, we can you know? say it for the radio. Yeah. <laughs> um, although we're technically over 30 minutes, it would have been fine. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, we, I am easily distracted, right? We talked about discipline. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think one of the ways that the devil tricks me is he just gets me to care about things that aren't necessarily intrinsically evil. They're just less important, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that that right now I need help from the communion of saints. I need their prayers for my discipline, you know? And so it, in that case, like, I don't have to necessarily go exclusively to St. Michael. It's just that St. Michael's got a lot of experience kicking the devil's butt. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, it, it's almost like, well, we talk, we've talked about it about patron saints. There are specific saints that have the, you know, they are the patron of certain issues, yep. you know? And so in that sense, it's that St. Michael. I mean, actually, I don't even know what he's the patron saint of in particular. Or is it just the church? Isn't that a thing, right? There was St. Michael was the, the archangel for Jerusalem. And since the church is the new Jerusalem, he's the archangel for the church. That's interesting. I mean, St. Joseph is- the guardian is, angel for the church, rather. It could be. I mean, St. Joseph is the universal patron of the church. Right. Uh, to Michael is usually attributed soldiers, uh, police, firefighters, right? That kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, but but can see but, it working. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not to push back, you. but it's kind of like we we don't you know when we say the Saint Michael prayer at the end of Mass, it's not because we're praying for policemen. No, it's because we're praying for the church. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. So if we're if we're looking at at Saint Michael then, and just the the community of saints broadly speaking, Michael is my confirmation name. Uh, but nice. just, just for, like uh, okay. just to throw that in there, like this yeah. is not, this isn't all new to me, right? Like I I do say the Saint Michael prayer somewhat often, which is good and, and intentionally. I highly recommend. Yeah, that's a, that's an important practice. I think in, in devotional life, it's important to have that. Uh, I talk to parents and religious ed kids all the time, and when the parents ask what prayers are my kids supposed to know, like before first communion, mm. um, I tell them they should know the Our Father, the Glory Be, the Hail Mary, and the Saint Michael prayer. Wow, I mean that's like that's a lot. Well, but I, it's I, not that it's a lot; it's that that like I didn't know that the Saint Michael prayer was at that level. I, I well, the act of contrition. I should throw that in there also. Sorry, act of contrition right. is very important. They should know that by their first con, their, their first confession. Um, no, but the the Saint Michael prayer is important because if, if you think about from the earliest ages, we should be invoking God's divine protection. We should be invoking that spiritual right. protection uh, for our children, and. It's easy enough for the kids to learn the St. Michael prayer because they hear it at every mass. Every mass. Every time they come, just like it's easy enough for them to learn the Our Father. Right. They hear it at every mass. The act of contrition can be a little bit harder because there's some words that they don't normally use. Like, right. how often do you say heartily in ordinary conversation? Right. And I actually, I don't even say the version of the act of contrition that uses that word. Yeah. So never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you're, you're just proving the point, right? Um, but the... 
where was I going with this? Oh, the, 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 that sense of being distracted from the most important thing and, and the most essential stuff. Um, because we can get so easily distracted, it's in the moment that you discover, oh, I'm distracted from these really important things. Oh, I'm, I've not been paying attention to this stuff that God is giving you a grace. That's actually the fruit of that prayer to St. Michael. That's actually the that's actually the grace obtained for you by the communion of saints that you're invoking. Right. To help you to say, "Oh, I need to pay more attention to this right. and I need to give my time to it." And you know what? There's there's tons and tons of other things. It's true that we can get involved in that aren't necessarily bad for us, but like, all right, we've got a it's good to have a hobby. Yeah. Right? It's good to have a thing that you like to do. It's good to have something that that you're devoted to. Um, because it builds you up, it recreates you, that proper sense of recreation, right? right? It's good to have that. It's real easy for a hobby to become uh, the the idol. Oh, it's so easy. Right? Uh, it's so easy. And if that's the case, then then we've always got to just be on our guard and recognize, hey, every once in a while, I've, I've allowed this to become the idol, and it's time for me to, to pull back from that. But then the beauty is, what happens? Because God rewards that effort. So when you're making the effort to say, hey, I, I want to pull back from this thing being the most important. I want to get back to what's most really, truly essential, which is uh, my wife, which is for me, my priesthood. Mm. I want to get back to the most essential things. Well, God God rewards it. He responds to our desire to be renewed. When I, when I desire renewal, God responds. If I refuse renewal, God's trying to bring it to me. He's trying to give it to me. Always. Always. But if I refuse it or run away from it, well, he doesn't. He doesn't force me. Right. 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 Of course. I mean, he's and, not a he's not a tyrant. Right. I, I think where there's there's a bit of a difference is that in marriage, uh, let's say that you're getting distracted by by other stuff, and you're not just spending the time putting the work in. Yeah. Right. Um, you have a spouse who can always say to you and be that voice that that speaks conviction to your heart. And says, hey. We need to spend more time together. I need you. Uh, and the beauty of the spousal union and that that partnership is that sometimes the partnership exists, not just for the mutual support, like, hey, we're in this together. Sometimes the partnership exists so that there's somebody who can hold me accountable and call me back. And when that happens, what's happening? Well, you're growing. You're, get, you're getting better. In the priesthood, like, we need brother priests who can hold us accountable. We need people who can hold us accountable, broadly speaking. Right. Right? Somebody who could say, hey, uh, I, I don't think you did that the right way. You're distracted or you're, you're focused too much on, on the wrong stuff. Get, get back to it. We need that. Uh, but when we come to God with that desire for renewal, when we invoke the saints— when we go looking for that spiritual protection to keep us, uh, to keep those insidious ways that the devil gets in there from from getting in there, man, we can thrive. Yeah, I know. Uh, personally, it often feels like, I mean, it often feels like I know the Lord's trying to like. It's almost like a, it's the difference between like a water fountain and a fire hydrant. You know what I mean? Like the Lord is a fire hydrant in the sense that He's trying to absolutely overflow me with grace. You know? Right. But for some reason, I keep putting a cap on it. Uh huh. You know, and it's almost like, well, how the heck do I get out of my own way here? You know? Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah. I, I think that that question, Matt, that's, that's the age old question. Yeah. And it's, it's the, the battle of the spiritual life until you die. Right. Right. I so know. that, that the question is there that you're trying to get out of your own way and you haven't figured out how to do it yet. That's actually the best thing. 
<laughs> right, right. I mean, it's it's a it's in a sense. I'm, I'm to say it's a good problem might be confusing, but it's almost like like the Lord. Shame is shame can be a good thing. Uh huh. You know what I mean? Like I, I believe it's John Paul II. He talks about how shame. I guess it's in the context of the theology of the body, mm -hmm. right? But shame is kind of like the warning signal that something's gone astray. Yeah. You know. So in a, in a sense, right? I, and I, I I have prayed before for a disdain for my sin. You know what I mean? And it would be a good thing for me to hate my sin, mm -hmm. right? I'm with you. And in a sense, that hatred of my own sin can lead to a frustration with myself for putting a cap on the grace that the Lord is trying to give me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But nonetheless, this is all a good problem in the sense that I now know my sin. It's good to know your sin and to want to change it, right? It's a good to dislike your sin. And it's even good to, to an extent, right, to be frustrated with the fact that you're having a hard time because hopefully you'll reach out to God again. That's the idea. You know what I mean? In our, in our deepest weakness, and it, that's our, that's what we do is is in the moment of weakness, in the moment when we're like Peter who gets out of the boat and walks on the water right. and then starts to sink when he takes his eyes off Jesus, he gets distracted right. and he starts to, to wonder what's going on. And then he cries out, Lord, save me. Right. Uh, sometimes that's what's happening to us. We're just, we're stepping out. We're ready to, to go, but we're, we start sinking either because we get distracted by other things, uh, because sin drags us down. And yeah, then I, I took my eyes off you, Lord. I stopped paying attention. Yeah. And that's where, but that's the key, right? I took my eyes off you. I was just, I was talking to a friend of mine. I was telling you about it before Deacon Fetty. Yeah. Uh, and he, he brought up how John the Baptist talked about how the kingdom of heaven, uh, in a sense, was like accomplished by violence, right? That like, you got to cut things out of your life. There's there's radical decisions that need to be made. Maybe I'm taking right. it, I might be taking out of context what he said, or or um, miss, uh, I don't know the word. The misquoting? Word. Misquoting, yeah. yeah. You know? That's okay. Thank you. Let's misquote him. It's fine. Great, right? <laughs> no, but he was, but he was This saying, isn't a news program. People don't need the facts. They right, just right. need to. But he was saying how like, you got to make radical decisions, right? So- uh, for me, right? Like the radical decision that this is in my head and it's something that I want to fight against. And it's something that I'm also, uh, afraid Renee will dislike, right? So there's two, there's two aspects going on here. And I think both of those are spiritual warfare. The fact that I wouldn't want to bring it up to my wife. I, an idol in my oh, life yeah. is TV. Okay. You know? And so like, what's the answer to the question to me, right? If you're really trying to be like radical here, Throw out your freaking TV. Mm -hmm. We're over 45 minutes. We're good. I can say freaking, right? But throw out your TV, right? Because if that is something that you spend too much time on that's taking you away from God, what the heck do you have it for? Right. You know? So it's like, now, do I do I think I'm going to throw out my TV? Honestly, no. I don't think I'm going to throw out my TV. Right. You know? But like, but but shouldn't, I don't know, right? You're if, if your hand causes you to sin, right? You're supposed to cut it off. Yeah. Right? If your eye causes you, you to sin, you're so, supposed to pluck it out. What you're speaking to is is part of the reason that marriage exists. Fantastic. I'm yeah. married. This is yeah. great news. But part of the reason that marriage exists is because men need the feminine genius in their lives because men can take that radical decision and get super radical about it. And sometimes- right. like I literally want to throw a sledgehammer at my television. Right. And it would be a bad idea. There'd be glass everywhere. Exactly. Sometimes we we make decisions in that radicality because we're, we're consumed by that zeal, by that desire to do something. Um, but what we really need is is another perspective that helps us to to think it through a little bit more. Uh, in the case of like, hey, if you want to throw away your TV, 
right. go for it. That's a not- that's a great John Prine song, by the way. I've never heard it. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, it's called Spanish Pipe Dream, and uh, it's it's this guy. He goes basically into a bar and he and he meets a stripper who who then tells him to blow up his TV, uh, okay. uh, throw away the newspaper, move to the country, and and buy a house. <laughs> wow. Um, and he does it with her. Ah. That's the whole story of the song. It's just okay. like this. It's it's bizarre, but it's really funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, blow up your TV. Go for it. Right. Like, right. who needs it? We, there's there's nothing good in there, and we all know that. Um, at the same time, uh, if it was just you, if you were the only one living in the house, go for it. Fine. Right. But you're not. I know. Now you have a spouse. I know. And so now it's also about bringing the spouse into the conversation. Right. Now it's also about about these deeper conversations that you, you start to realize that the TV isn't mine. It's ours. Yeah. So, so before I can make a decision about that, I have to I have to talk to my wife. Um, but where's the temptation that you're describing? It's uh, maybe I shouldn't talk to my wife about it because she's not going to like it. Right. Spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Exactly. Because that, that one it's thing. Just clouding. That one thing that you think would be really helpful as kind of a solution to a, a spiritual problem, and it, it very well might be truly helpful. Right. Um, but now that that potential solution that you've proposed in, in your own mind, now this other front of the war opens up, which is to suggest that if you, well, if you do that, uh, your wife will be mad. So you shouldn't even talk to her about it. But the only way you're going to find out if it's true that she'd be mad is if you talk about it or if she listens to this podcast because we're yeah. talking about it here for her, uh, which is healthy, honestly, totally, perfectly healthy. And definitely, definitely, she doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> Renee's not a listener like, of the tangent. She's you know? like, I hear them all the time. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, think about it like, if if you're afraid to have a conversation, what the devil is doing there is he's setting up in your mind that there's that there should be some barrier between you and your spouse, right? Now this is this is the temptation. It's not something that you're actually right. guilty of, right? Right. I'm not I'm not condemning you no, or anything, um, because the same thing happens to, like in so many different ways. You shouldn't talk about that, right? You shouldn't have that conversation. Well. Based on what? Based on your your interior playing it out, like you're having the conversation in your head and assuming what's going to happen. It's not a real conversation. Right. It's an imaginary conversation. And how many times has this happened and I haven't even realized it? Yeah. So I was talking with a couple recently and, and they, they were sharing, they were a mentor couple for an engaged couple and they were, they were sharing uh, what I thought was something really beautiful. And she said, uh, I can tell him anything. I can talk to him about anything, and I do. In fact, I talk to him about things that I don't talk to my mother about. I share things with him that I won't share with anyone else. And if I've shared it with my mother or with a friend, I've definitely shared it with him. Mm. And I thought that was that was so beautiful. The, the idea that there was this deep ability to share and this confidence in sharing. And she goes, even when uh, I'm not feeling like I'm, I'm quite right, or even when I'm, I, I don't know why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling or I'm, I'm asking questions the way that I'm asking them. She goes, I know that I can talk to him. I know that I can ask him. And I thought that was such a beautiful way to, to understand it, that part of the grace of the sacrament of matrimony is that, that total partnership that means freedom to speak. Even if you're pretty sure she might not like to talk about it. Right. Or it might be something uncomfortable. 
Which the, I don't necessarily even think that's true. Right. But the point of having the conversation is not, hey, I want to make Renee really uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> the point of that, that conversation. I think that she'll, she'll, you know, I want to use the word mitigate, but I think that she'll mitigate that position of like, oh, I want to throw out her TV. I think she'll be like, no. But what else is happening there is is that by talking to her, what you're doing is you're expressing the desire to share everything with her. Yeah. That there be no secrets Which between Which is most you. important. Yeah. Yeah. The the deepest communication that you're striving for is that I want you to know what's on my heart because you're the person, you're the person with whom I'm supposed to share the things that are on my heart. There's uh, I remember reading this this article this priest wrote uh, about he was a college chaplain and uh, students would come to him all the time and ask if uh, if it was okay for them to like pray the rosary with their girlfriend. Like, I don't care if you pray the rosary with your girlfriend. <laughs> sure, go go for it. But at the same time are you just praying the rosary together or is this like you really want to start praying together? It was a devotional activity together is fine. But he said, and he kind of, he staked out, I think a somewhat radical position. Okay. So I'm not entirely sold on this, but I see some wisdom. And what he was saying was that uh, a couple ought not pray together unless they're engaged or, or even married in the sense that, the act of praying together is intimacy at a level that really has to be reserved for a, a deeply committed relationship. Yeah. Uh, and so with engagement, at least you've, you've committed to pursuing the sacrament of matrimony and the vocation of marriage together. So there's that commitment to, to preparing for this vocational life. Okay. So praying together starts to make sense. But his suggestion was you shouldn't even be praying together until engagement has happened. Now, I'm not totally certain I agree, yeah. but I, I see what he's getting at, that what he's really trying to emphasize more so than, than the practicalities of when can you pray with a significant other. <laughs> what he was yeah. really getting at in this was the idea that prayer and prayer together is something intimate. Yeah. Just like your this communication. Isn't the first time I've heard this. Yeah. But just like your communication with Renee or, or any man's communication with his spouse has to be an intimate communication of, of the self. This is what's going on in my heart. This is what I'm thinking about. And that freedom needs to be present. And it's beautiful when it's present. Yeah. Right. And to foster and cultivate that 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 vulnerability and that openness, it's it's all so important. But why? Because in in marriage. I pledge thee my troth, right? I'm, I'm giving to you my, my truth and my fidelity. And, and my truth, my fidelity uh, has an end. My, my end is heaven. Right. Like the talos of the whole thing yeah. <laughs> is to get to heaven. If I can throw in some philosophical no, language like there, that. let's, let's like do that. Because the, what is our end? Our end is heaven. That's right. what we're made for. Yeah. Well, and that's, how, what, that's what marriage is made for. Absolutely. Yeah. And how am I getting there? Uh, but, with the support of this person. So as a priest, how am I getting to heaven but with that, with the support of brother priests, with the support of my bishop, and with the support frankly of the of the parish community that I serve. Right. Right? As as a as a husband, how are you getting to heaven but with the support of your spouse and the faithful living out of of those promises that you made on your wedding day. And those promises that you made on your wedding day are also for her. I can tell you that the temptation often for me is to say like it's almost like, so uh, to, to lead in like a hands-off kind of way, that's, that's the temptation, lead in a hands-off kind of way insofar as I'd be like, hey, Renee, like, I know you like to read the Bible. 
you haven't read your Bible in three days as far as I know. Why don't you go spend 30 minutes? You know, like a mere suggestion mm -hmm. that involves like me not at all. You know, like that's the temptation just to just like drop something. But what it is is that like I should be praying with her, mm. you know, and I should be reading scripture with her. Not not in so far as like I have to be the one reading because I'm the, you know, head of the household. It doesn't have to be this weird like, you know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. have to be weird like that. It. <laughs> But you can make it weird like that if you I want to. I can make to. it weird like It could be probably believe really entertaining. Me. <laughs> believe me, I make things weird all the time. <laughs> awkwardness is a charism. It's great. You know what I mean? Ooh, but the charism of awkwardness. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, Let's yeah. cultivate that. Yes. 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 Yeah. The Holy Spirit's gift of weird. <laughs> hey, man, Christianity is weird. Embrace you know? the weird. It is, yeah. I actually know, I have a friend of mine that's an evangelical uh, Protestant that she was telling me how she was reading this book called Keep Christianity Weird. Awesome. And I was like, I was like, that is spot on. It is weird. <laughs> it it's is weird. so weird. It's weird, but let's be weird together. Abraham's first covenant with God. Weird, man. Weird. Walk Super some, weird. Walk through some severed animals. Yep. All right. Bring it back here for a second. Cause, <laughs> yeah. cause I, but you're, you're onto this important thing that, that leadership, it, it there's a, there's a, a certain way of doing hands-on leadership uh, and a, and a certain way of, of just allowing freedom. Yeah, right. and, and both things are necessary. We, it's it's not one or the other, um, but I think when you when you see that there's a need for that uh, more involved leadership, there's also what I'm hearing in 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 that sense is is also a desire. Yeah, it's not just I think I'm supposed to lead. It's I want to pray together. I want to read scripture together. I want my wife to be doing those things, but like I want to I want to pray with her. I don't just want her prayer to be something that she does all by herself. Like it's a solitary activity. I want to do that with her. There can be a communication that happens, which is I'm speaking to my desire to be with you to a desire that we spend that time together. Um, understanding that there's necessary individual spiritual growth that has to happen, necessary time apart that has to happen. Like this is all good. It's good yeah. to, it's good to have your own activities and your, your own things. Yeah. But at the same time, it's so good to be able to say, we, we want to do these things together. And in fact, one of the best ways is if we get into the practice of praying together, reading scripture together, some devotional activity that we do side by side at the same time and, and in conversation with one another and with God. Because that's a way that you're opening yourselves up to God's presence, to God's will, to God's plan for you. And then... And sacramental grace. Exactly. Exactly. Because the sacrament is coming alive yeah. more and more each each time you do that. In addition, though, as, as happens for all of us, zeal flags. I become less zealous over time because I just get beat up a little bit. We were reading and praying together at the beginning of our marriage. I mean, I've only been married for like, what, four or five months? It, it's been like a, a day and a half. So right. yeah, but, your, but your first, first day of marriage. Two, but for the first two months, we said the divine mercy every day to the guy. Yeah. And then work starts. The, the work school starts. year begins school year and, and, and the schedule. All of that. Start recording something called the tangent. Yeah, this crazy podcast idea that is like totally interfering with your marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Renee. <laughs> no, but you, you, you start to see these other things that are, are coming in. Okay, that's that's a part of your life together. Right. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't pray. It doesn't mean that you can't have this. It just means, all right, now we've got to figure out when are we going to do this? We used to do this all the time in the seminary, uh, especially like first year theology. 
everything's different. You're in a new seminary, new place, new, new, all this other stuff. And so the, the rule of thumb was like your first year, you get three months to figure out the adjustment. Yeah. <laughs> like just, just time, yeah. time to figure it out. And then, uh, the next semester you'd give yourself like three weeks. And eventually you got to the point where I don't need three weeks to adjust to a, a new class schedule or to new, to new teachers. I need like, I need a week just to go through it all. And then maybe in the second week I'm making adjustments to two things and then I'm fine. Right. But you need to give yourself time. And that's the rule of thumb they use when you get a dog. Right. You get a dog and they say three days to calm down, three weeks to figure out where, where you are and three months to really learn the routine of, of what they're supposed to go. So like when you get a dog, you can't make a decision about what you're going to do. Uh, you've got to be as consistent as possible for three months. Right. It's so important. Right? Yeah. But that's how the dog gets used to where they're supposed to be. Like we're all dogs in that way. Right. <laughs> we need some time to adjust to what we're supposed to be doing and to how we're supposed to be doing it. Right. But we're better than dogs because unlike dogs, we can talk <laughs> and we can talk it over. You know, a hey, dog, dog just, talks to, no, a dog just kind of looks at you like, I don't know. Right, right. <laughs> do, do you have food? Can I have some? No, no, what you have. When are we getting food? I want what you have. I don't, I don't want what, what, what's on the floor in my dish. I want what you have right now. That's what I want. That's what dogs do, right? Anyway, all I'm saying is the spiritual warfare mm. is to suggest is that that temptation or that that suggestion that no, no you shouldn't talk about this. No, no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't yeah. bother engaging in that. Uh, be passive. Take that. Take that big step back. Yeah. That's the spiritual warfare. Um, and so the response, asking Saint Michael's intercession, uh, invoking the the communion of saints, and then the response to say, "I'm I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be brave, mm. and I'm gonna talk about this." Right. Right. Um, Fortitude is a virtue. Is absolutely. Virtue, or is it is, is it a cardinal virtue? Uh, right. Yes. No faith, hope, and love. No, those are the supernatural virtues. No, maybe those virtue, are cardinal virtue. I don't know. Yeah. I can't think anymore. There's seven of them. My brain well, isn't working. Well, there's four correctly. and then three, and then it adds to seven. Right, exactly. Yeah. Numbers. <laughs> uh, num numbers are important. Math. Hooray, math. Anyway. Nice. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this was the tangent. Uh, again, my name is Matt Brazza, And I'm Father Sam Kachuba. You can catch us on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM. At 1230 on Fridays. Veritas Catholic Radio. Uh, also the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Right, the app. The app um, for Veritas, yeah. And of course, presumably you are here right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Peace. God bless.